In this episode of STEMiverse podcast, Peter and Marcus talks with Naomi Young. Naomi Young, who is also known by her screen nickname Nene, is a star of ABC Kids and the creator of the TV and YouTube kids show Tinker Time. Her songs Bubble Pop, Smash It Down, I Have a Voice and My Brother Ate My Lego are Australian household favorites. You may also know Naomi for her work as the voice of Hoot the Bell on Giggle and Hoot. Her TV credits also include Nickelodeon's host of Nick Takes Over Your School and Saro, The Wiggles, assistant choreographer and dancer, Playhouse Disney, Home and Away, All Saints and much more. Naomi has been working in children's television and theatre for 15 years. She graduated with a BA, Media and Cultural Studies, and Graduate Diploma of Education, Secondary English and Drama, both from Macquarie University. Her kids' channel, Dinker Time, is all about experimenting, pulling things apart and not being afraid to make mistakes. Nene wants to encourage kids to get curious about STEAM, science, technology, art, engineering, and maths, and nurture a love for adventure and inventive thinking. While in education, Naomi was runner-up Most Outstanding New Teacher awarded by the New South Wales Teachers Guild in 2009. On top of her teaching load, she co-founded the project Schools, Industry, Arts, an initiative that collaborated with schools and arts industry professionals to push the boundaries of arts education programs in schools. The team delivered New South Wales Institute of Teachers accredited professional development to hundreds of teachers. After building her own companies, Naomi became passionate about encouraging artists and educators to take an entrepreneurial approach to building brands and utilizing online mediums and has begun consulting small businesses and individuals. Check out the episode's notes for links to Naomi's socials and online resources. This is STEMiverse podcast episode 18. Welcome to STEMiverse, the podcast that helps educators become awesome at teaching STEM, be it at home or in the classroom. I'm Peter Dunmaris, and with my co-host, Marcus Sharpie, our mission is to bring you the experiences of educators, students, and stakeholders who strive every day to make the teaching and learning of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and art better. Great, so here's another episode of yes. Stemiverse. I'm here with Marcus at a Stemiverse studio. Mm-hmm. And we have Naomi with us. Naomi from Tinker Time. Hi, Naomi. How are you? Hi. How are, hi, everyone out there listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. It's a very windy day today, isn't it? So we've got high winds here. So if mm-hmm. you hear yes. weird noises, uh, sounding like um, things scratching on the windows, it's the trees. Or the dog. Or the dog perhaps <laughs> trying to get in. Wild <laughs> weather, but, but on we continue. <laughs> yes. So Naomi, thank you very much for um, taking the time to talk to us. Uh, it's a real privilege. Uh, I've known about your shows on TV, on ABC, and now on YouTube for a while now, thanks to my kids. Uh, very visually exciting uh, videos, and uh, you explore all sorts of maker stuff and STEM education stuff. And uh, that's why we wanted to talk to you today. Oh, thank you. So. Would you like to take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, a little bit of history and what led you to where you are now? Absolutely. Um, well, I guess I I have a mi- bit of a mixed background and so it's nice to always give it a bit of context. I've been working as an actor and singer, songwriter from a very young age and that obviously moves in waves, that type of career, but I've always gravitated towards children's entertainment. Um, I worked with the Wiggles when I was quite young as a dancer, worked with uh, Saturday Disney, um, all sorts of kids brands. I was a host on Nickelodeon when I was younger. And then more recently, I worked on an ABC kids show called Giggle and Hoot. And I was the voice of Hootabelle on that show. And that was an amazing experience for a few years. I remember that. (laughs) 
But the <laughs> the other part kind of prong to this is that, um, you know, mum and dad very sensibly told me to, you know, as being an actor that I wanted a bit of an act backup. So I did a media cultural studies degree at university and then I did a diploma of education to teach high school English drama as well, mostly just to teach casually. Um, but then I really found myself enjoying that and really loved education. So I spent a few years in there before being drawn back into that job at Giggle and Hoot. And then at the ABC, I think just being in and amongst the children's department there, I was, you know, loving working in kids' television and I've always had a passion for kids' entertainment. And so when I started songwriting, I think the thing was is I, I really wanted a point of difference as I approached it. Um, and when I was looking around and I had two kids of my own, I was finding that there was a real lack of role models who I was enjoying for young girls in particular, especially in stronger programming that was around concepts like adventuring and curiosity and feeling strong and being okay with making mistakes. I could kind of find that programming for my son, but I couldn't find it for my daughter. Everything was fairly pink saturated. So then I kind of researched more and I had this amazing book that I was in love with just as a parent called The Tinker Lab by Rachel Dooley and loved that book and kind of putting into practice. So that's Tinker Lab, sorry? Yeah, Tinker Lab. Yep. Okay. Um, Rachel Dooley and she's an amazing, inspiring woman who kind of really introduced me to this concept of what tinkering was and thus then was born Tinker Time. And so the album that I brought out with ABC kids, Hey, Hey, Let's Play, that kind of was all around that theme of adventure and curiosity and using our imaginations. And then I've um, harnessed that in further again to build the TV show and the Tinker Time YouTube channel, which is all about kind of, yeah, this maker philosophy and it's very STEM based. So hmm. I try not to shy away at all from, you know, basic science or basic coding for kids, um, you know, gen general maths concepts for that preschool arena and I've had a lot of fun doing it. It's been amazing to build. It's obvious, I think, that you're having a lot of fun uh, <laughs> yeah. when you watch your videos. <laughs> Could we go back to when you were a kid and tell us what that was like? And uh, especially I want to explore the link between what you're doing now in your latest shows in Ticket Time especially and uh, any inclinations that you had back when you were a kid in, yeah. in the space of making. Oh, I'd love to. Look, I, um, I'm a natural maker, I suppose. Uh, Mum and dad were, you know, both educators themselves and we had fairly free reign, you know, in the certain rooms of the house to be pulling anything out of the cupboards and pulling things apart to see what's inside, which is absolutely what I do now in a segment that I call Show Me Your Guts. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in it was just really exploratory learning. Um, so it was, you know, pulling things from like a natural habitat, whether it was bark, painting or nuts and kind of using those. Um, I think what was interesting for me kind of as a child was is in my education, in the way that I approached, not so much in primary school, but when it came to high school, I was really enjoying you know, maths and science subjects. But as high school kind of got more honed in on the specifics and one mode of teaching those, you know, STEM concepts, uh, it wasn't commuting, like communicating with my mind in that sort of way. So I had some really interesting things where I would find that I would sit a maths exam and, you know, in a maths exam, you very much get marks for the working out and then a mark for getting the answer right as you move on. And I was finding myself getting the answer right. And when the teacher was looking at the way I was working out, they were going, why on earth would you use that approach? Like that is a really <laughs> strange way to find the answer. I mean, you're correct and I can kind of see the work vaguely, but it was almost as though the way my brain would fracture you know, the um, mathematical algorithm, for instance, I could almost see it in my brain, but I couldn't always show the working out and then I could fall on the answer. But that was not the way in which it was being yes, taught at all. Not authorised. Not <laughs> at all. And, you know, even when I got to year 11 chemistry, I think I thought, you know, I'm doing terribly in this subject and I really, you know, I'm one of the, I was one of the only girls in the class and they were not learning the way I needed to be learning. And so I kind of gave up. I was like, I'm going to drop this for my HSC, forget it. And 
I stopped studying and then I, you know, I had to see out the subject. And when it came to actually sitting the end of year exam, I think I got a 76%, which was pretty good for chemistry without having focused or studied for the last few months. And the teacher was like, oh, you really need to keep going with this. Like, that's an amazing mark. And I was like, no, I can't. I can't follow your class. I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm terrible at this. And he couldn't kind of convince me, but that was because he couldn't teach me in a way that I needed to be taught. And so that's been really important for me because as I kind of communicate with people who, you know, people like yourselves tend to get in touch, people who are involved in technology and STEM and science-based subjects because they all want their kids to be kind of having an influencer like Nene and like the Tinker Time programming. And they start to get a bit technically um, involved in terms of science with me and part of me is thinking I actually don't know a great lot about this, but what I do have is this huge childish curiosity <laughs> for it. <laughs> and I think that's what's been intrinsic in the brand is keeping in Nene and all the characters that surround the brand is the curiosity has to be alive. Like we don't have to have the answers. We can interview people with the answers. We can find the answers. We can experiment to come across new ways of thinking, but it's not suited to one specific type of learner. And it certainly isn't a program where you go in there with kind of a know-all approach at all. Yeah. So, yeah, that's been, <laughs> that's kind of been interesting from childhood to here. It's really resonated. That sounds very familiar to me as well. And so I'm oh, thinking really? uh, just staying with the, uh, with the school, your school years, mm-hmm. what could your teacher have done? Perhaps your teachers could have done maybe one or two things in the classroom to help you stay focused as a person in the learning of sciences? Yeah, look, that's, um, that's a really good question. And possibly not one that I'm qualified to answer in the intricacies of, um, you know, the technicalities of probably what the chemistry and the mathematical syllabus required. I'm quite not sure on the specifics of how to teach it. All I do know is that it was just very, it was very dry. There was a real lack of visual elements kind of involved often. A lot of it was just kind of here's the formula and practice that particular version 50 times and you'll work it out. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, I, I do know I'm a visual learner. I do know I'm a conceptual learner as well. Um, and I don't feel the subjects were approached in that manner, which I think would have helped me. But, you know, I do, on the other hand, I do appreciate that that would be really tricky given how technical some of those syllabus, how technical some of those syllabuses become in those later years of kind of education. Yeah. Was that the teacher or was that just a product of the time? Uh, it potentially was a product of the time. Look, it was kind of uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, so, uh, you know, I kind of don't know enough about the trends of maths and science education during those times. Um, but and, and it may have been the teacher because I think I found that, you know, certain teachers did have huge influence on, you know, your ability to succeed in a subject. So it may just have been that I wasn't quite a good fit with that particular educator at the time. But I don't know, that's that's the very tricky job of teachers, isn't it? Is that, you know, to kind of be able to communicate with the various learners in the classroom. I think that's really important. Awesome. Actually, I've got to say on that because as a, having worked as an English teacher, which is the one subject that remains compulsory for students through, um, you know, secondary education, I found that a really interesting concept of going, none of these students have any choice about whether they're here or not. This is considered by the Board of Education absolutely compulsory. So therefore then it became my job to allow every student in that classroom, some of whom weren't naturally leaning towards, you know, being writers or investigating texts. Um, And yet I still had to find a way to connect with each of those students because they all had to sit the exam no matter what. And I think that makes for a really interesting approach to how you kind of go about the individual student. Yeah, I I suppose that's uh, an argument for personalised learning mm. so every student learns differently and I suppose the one of the jobs of the teacher is to in, engage with the student and find out what is it that they need in order to want to learn not have to learn and do you, in any subject. Do you think that that's possible in the kind of maths and science based learning when it usually is 
chosen by the student? Yeah, my, my experience with uh, especially younger kids is that they all want to learn. Uh, they, they are all interested in technology and in science. Mm. Uh, they are all curious about the world, uh, as long as it's not strictly speaking inside the classroom. Yes. So if it's connected mm-hmm. to the real world and if it's done in an interesting way, I think that all kids uh, are naturally curious about the world. And since those subjects are really subjects that explore the real world, then uh, I, I link the words yes. They're all curious. So um, as uh, Sir, um, Tim Robinson, I think, says, uh, school kills creativity. Maybe that's a bit of a, <laughs> yeah. a, bit, a bit harsh, you know, a bit harsh but uh, there, there's some truth in that. <laughs> I actually showed a Year 10 class that TED Talk once and yes, the amount exactly. of nodding that was going on, this vigorous nodding yeah. from these 15-year-old kids going, yes, oh it does, <laughs> you know. It was really it's quite enjoyable they to agree. empower them by showing them. Yeah. Uh, I, I think... Personally, uh, I've been a teacher and I I can't say that I have any artistic uh, uh, capabilities, you know, to use perhaps art in order to make my classes more interesting. So um, I have to try, I have to train myself actually to, you know, to Mm. speak in a more engaging way, to research a topic so that I can find real life examples that... um, can draw kids in from whichever Mm -hmm. dreamland they might be at the moment. (laughs) So uh, as as an entertainer yourself, like you've got a background in entertaining, you you are an artist. Do you think that that is a skill that teachers can learn? Oh, yes. Um, There's uh, there's this wonderful book that um, my husband read and I've read parts of um, that didn't feel the need to kind of go into the details of it, called The Charisma Myth. Mm-hmm. And I can't think of who the author is, but maybe you Look can it um, put yeah. it in your notes after. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to kind of go that, you know, and a lot of uh, CEOs read it because charisma and networking and the ability to engage is kind of, you know, how, A, people sell product, but also, B, you know, how we really get people on board with our ideas. So mm-hmm. I do believe that creativity and, you know, charisma, charisma in particular, are teachable um, notions. It's it's about, you know, it's about kind of the person actually wanting to engage with that style of mm-hmm. thinking. And I think the other thing is that it really comes from passion. So I think for what a person is passionate about or what a cu- person is curious about, that's when they can really kind of get creative and get you know get find the light in their eyes and the enjoyment and the spark in the way that they're speaking about that topic mm-hmm. passion is is important isn't it? But, and i'm thinking that as you're talking i'm thinking that a, a teacher is essentially a, a performer right it's like you're on stage mm. and you've got uh, some material that you want to perform or convey to your audience mm. Do you think that it makes sense to treat that situation as if you are on a theatrical stage and therefore you use the the tricks of the theatrical trade to do your job as a teacher? Look, I think I think that's one approach um, that a person could take. I think, you know, for me, the teachers, you know, if I think back to some of my favourite educators, one of my favourite days is the World Teachers Day um, because I really like taking the time of going who were those educators who most, you know, stood out to me, most got their message across and who I to this day absolutely remember. Um, now, one of those would be an artistic teacher, like a dance teacher who I had, and she was, you know, uh, she was 150,000% charisma. Um, but some of the other teachers who really resonated, um, I, I don't even know his name, but Mr. Wright, my history teacher in year nine, who was just an amazing teacher. And occasionally I think he would throw in the theatrics, but that's not so much what really engaged me with his lessons. It was purely this kind of wonderful, excitable, extensive knowledge that he had and then could communicate that with the students. And even now I watch that with my own children is I just think when they have teachers, um, my, my boy at the moment who's in year two, he has a teacher at the moment who 
is a twitcher, like a bird watcher. And Gideon's level of fascination all of a sudden with birds and bird watching and owls and all sorts of things that I know that this teacher is wildly passionate about has resonated and it's just come off onto him. That's good. So what does he teach? Well, he's a primary teacher, so he's, um, you know, he's a jack of all trades. Oh, <laughs> like great. Gideon. Okay. But I think, um, yeah, it's not so much about the theatrics, though I think there are things that lend itself, you know, eye contact, you know, mm. having a nice tone when you speak. I think there's things that lend themselves to the theatrics in the classroom and just a level of confidence. But to me, it's kind of being able to share knowledge. And, you know, I some of the people in my life who are the most introverted um, completely not happy public speaking, I can still engage in conversation with them and be completely enthralled with what they're saying. So tapping on this vein a little bit more, as an entertainer and educator, what ninja skills do you have that you can <laughs> give to other teachers that they could steal uh, to make their educating better? Ah, that's a good question. I think like I always come back to curiosity and in a subject um, and I think and real, really trying to connect whatever it is you're teaching um, or communicating in a video, having the person either watching the video, the viewer or the student kind of really find what's fun and engaging and exciting about the topic that you uh, kind of approaching on. One of the things I found hardest to teach at um, high school level was poetry. I just, you know, the moment you said you were going into poetry, there was a collective groan, you know, that you could be heard to the oval. Um, and I remember just kind of one time uh, just coming up with an idea where I was like, and I actually think I was casually teaching at the time. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a class who liked me already anyway. Uh, I had no zero respect from them. We were just, you know, we had 45 minutes to fill and the <laughs> vague topic was poetry. And I remember just going, okay, we're going to write a collective poem all together. So, you know, so-and-so throws you a topic and they try and give you curveballs. So, you know, they might go, oh, like we're going to do something about um, fighting because, you know, boys go, oh, yeah, like she, she'll hate that. And I go, okay, that's our topic, fighting. All right, I want everyone to take, you know, two pieces of paper and you have to put down a word that's kind of associated somehow in your mind with fighting. And so they then put down their two words. And then we hand in all the words, they draw two out of a hat. And I was like, now you actually just have to do, write two lines that use, you know, the two words, whatever you did pulled out of the hat, or even one line if they're finding it hard, that is just some sort of vague sentence or half sentence using those words. And then we collected them, all the lines, and I stuck them up on the board and then I got the kids to put them in their order. And all of a sudden they could start to find picture and rhyme and like uh, rhythm in in these random sentences and that, you know, their peers had kind of come up with. And all of a sudden they'd be like, you know, some kid thinking he's this total smart aleck goat wrote, I want to die or something. And then like everyone's like, oh, you know, like Joe, that doesn't fit in. And then they realise once they start formatting the poem that somehow they've created, you know, some great story about a soldier and at this most climactic moment he sprouts, I want to die. And then that's the all of a sudden this sentence that should have been a total lame one <laughs> becomes the most, you know, climactic moment of the poem, thus kind of sending that kid into this, you know, real pride kind of thing. And I was like, there, there can't be any topics in education that there isn't like a really fun way to approach. Like you've got to just kind of go, how is, you know, said 13 or 25 or six or two-year-old, what will they find interesting, curious, and magical about whatever it is that you're kind of presenting. And I think there's something like that in every topic to kind of just spark that initial engagement. And then you bore them with all the details that they have to retain <laughs> for their educational testing purposes. But I do think that kind of that initial engagement somehow with the idea, putting the idea that's approachable to them on their level makes a real difference. So you're most important ninja skill, if I, if I put <laughs> this right, oh, is yeah. your ability to convert 
pretty much any subject in education into a game that can engage the children. <sighs> Even poetry can be turned into a game. A game is a strong word, but mm-hmm. an enjoyable activity. An enjoy. Um, so find the joy in anything, even in poetry. Yeah. And usually people are teaching topics that they, you know, most of the time people specialise as teachers into topics that they are genuinely passionate yeah. about. So it's, you know, this thing is tap back into the passion of how you arrived on enjoying that particular topic and maybe share that with your kids and see if it, see if it works. That's a great idea. I know that works for me. Uh, what about you, oh, Marcus? does it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. But we, always, we forget that. Like we walk into a classroom and we forget about that because it becomes, I suppose, by necessity uh, that, hey, we've got to tick these boxes and mm. uh, we've got these outcomes to deliver and, and the time is pressing us. And so we forget that very important aspect. And, uh, yeah, no wonder kids lose interest. I think one of the... The wonderful things is if you teach something well once, you only have to teach it once. Um, so all that <laughs> yeah. time you've kind of like uh, programmed for revision within, you know, obviously you can't scrap it all, but you, it's amazing that if you truly engage in kind of good programming right from the beginning where you genuinely put some good thought into how you're going to get these kids to enjoy this and retain it, um, yeah. it, it might save you some time in doubling back later. Definitely. Laziness is the key to success. Yeah, Only no do gaps. it once so you don't have to do it again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's exactly right. And leave that's, no that's the ninja skill that I leave you all with. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm curious, um, Nay, I'm very curious about your creative process. So you are a very creative person just by looking at the um, your track record on YouTube, on ABC. There's a lot of really good stuff there. How do you do it? How do you come up with all these ideas? Firstly, thank you. <laughs> That's a really nice thing to say. But I think it's just, you know, I, every person has things that they, you know, really, truly engage in. And I'd be lying if I said that creativity isn't what I massively engage in. So, you know, everyone has their, well, I have a personal Facebook account that I use with my friends and family and and so forth. Um, and then, of course, I have a professional one, that, you know, the Nene Facebook mm. account and same for Instagram and so forth. Now, what's interesting is this, that the difference between things that I would post while being glossier for the professional one potentially wouldn't be that different from my personal page. So, you know, I, I would very likely on Sunday uh, take my daughter up and we'd be creating a fairy garden for the backyard because that's something that she'd really like to do. And we'd pull apart like maybe, oh, I, you know, I'd actually did this and I pulled off all the old keys of all the, you know, keys that I never knew what they opened anymore and we painted them and made a wind chime out of them. Now that to some people might sound like extreme work. I really enjoy those processes. So I think the creativity part is just genuinely part of my soul and and always has been. So then being able to do it for work is is merely an extension of that, I think. And that, you know, in some ways that comes with its own challenges. Recently I was chatting to someone and they said, oh, you know, what are your hobbies? Like what, what could you do to escape from work? You know, just trying to find a bit more balance. And I thought one of the biggest problems here is that I've turned what essentially should be my hobbies into my job. And that doesn't mean then they're not enjoyable, but it means that my the way in which my mind is working and thinking stays in that working mode all the time in some ways, which isn't always great. <laughs> so it's hard for me, to, I guess, not? to switch it off. Um, I think just for, because I have learned, like I think with any thinking and, and thoughtfulness around a project or a, a line of thought is that it also requires space. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of, you know, considered time you can use mulling over ideas and playing and so forth, but sometimes you really just need to give an idea or a creative sense some space to rest to then be able to come back to it and go, ah, oh, like that's a hit, far better solution to that thing that I was trying to make or achieve or, or so forth. Um, and so that, that's why I think just because my brain needs some space and time where it isn't 
lashing over 50 ideas, you know, having big picture, thinking about small projects um, and so forth. So your, your brain is a muscle, so it needs a bit of space to recover, That's time right. to recover, right? And it's a uh, rest. So do you think that the quality of the recovery time is important? So when you're not thinking um, of a new video topic, uh, like uh, what is the process that you follow, if there is one, to allow your brain to recover from all this work that it had to do? <laughs> Look, I'd be, um, given that this is, like when I built Nene and Tinker Time, at the time I, when I started probably three years ago, I was also working at Giggle and Hoot um, mm-hmm. and I'm a mum as well. So there's mm. there were things that pulled me out of that. Um, and then more recently in the last, I suppose, 11 or 12 months, I kind of got to a point, I got to a bit of a tipping point with the project where I thought I really have to give this more of a full-time approach to be able to really stretch its legs. Um, and so I guess finding... And, and, you know, you go forth into that with a huge amount of energy and passion. And then you get to a point where you think, whew, I could do with a little bit of a break, Hmm. um, you know, just to regain composure even. Yeah. And I think then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I I don't know if I actually have the toolkit to do that. Um, And so... You know, uh, my darling yeah. husband, also a social worker, you know, spoke to me about mindfulness and, and you know, recently <laughs> yeah. I've been meditation. doing some yoga yeah. and meditation and, mm. and, you know, as a busy, moving, a thousand thoughts a minute kind of person, um, that didn't naturally sit well with me. You know, this whole, oh, I've got struggle this skill. To like, <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> like, you know, but then having kind of had a, a real go at that, I see that then all of a sudden that that, that time, if you allow yourself some time to be more, you know, mindful, present with your family, yeah. some clear ahead, whether it's I'm gardening or I'm going down to the beach or having a swim or just, you know, even slothing on the couch, which I don't do very often. I'm not very good at it. So mm. some genuine time to just stop then has then made my time in which I'm active probably far better, far more proactive, I suppose, and far more concentrated. Do you play a musical instrument? Uh, several really badly. So not not on stage. Like I can play piano somewhat badly and I can play a ukulele, ukulele somewhat badly. But I certainly am not you, kind of hitting the stage. Are you Amanda Palmer? <laughs> no, no, funnily no. enough. No, steampunk, oh. ukulele, piano. <laughs> it fits a criteria. No, not quite. But it's, uh, yeah, look, my my voice is my kind of, you know, instrument of choice. Mm. And I love, you know, I love to do that. And I love the way it communicates with with kids. So, you know, I um, I can bash around, but then I leave the, the real playing to mm. people I hire to do it well. <laughs> Speaking of people you hire, um, how do you how do you relate or how do you work with other people in the context of your creativity and you know putting together your programs because I can see there's quite a few uh, other people involved here so you probably have a team so can you tell us about how do you do that how do you work with other people and yeah you know absolutely. and I'll tack on to that yeah mm. how did you get tinker time off the ground well <laughs> yeah they're, they're they're different thoughts um Firstly, I guess, um, in how do I work with people, I, I love working with people. Like I, I am someone who genuinely enjoys um, feeding off other people. I really love working in a team um, and I really love feeding off the creativity of people around me. Um, so my production designer is a woman called Lorraine Verhayen and she is oh, an absolute genius. And so I love sparring with her creatively because every time I kind of offer a, a comment forward, then she has an idea that goes even further. And one of the things I've been very firm on is is when I have someone at my employer or an opportunity to be working in a team, then you 100% take every opportunity you can with that person to really get the most out of what they can do and have them solve some things for you because it just pushes a product or a brand so much further. And to be honest, as an entrepreneur, my the frequency in which I 
do work with people is actually not very often at the moment. Mm. Um, a lot of those videos, so the the Tinker Time YouTube channel is very much I set up in my attic of my own home mm. um, and the production designer, I started painting a set and then she came and made it far more awesome uh, than I could <laughs> it have. It is awesome. And, yeah, oh, thank definitely. you. Yeah. Is this at your on. home? <laughs> yeah, it literally is at my oh, home. And I wow. bought Okay, I thought that was at a studio gear. at the ABC. <laughs> no, this one, this one's not. So the music videos that you see on ABC Kids are, but the Tinker Time YouTube channel is me at home on my wow. own, I've got a multi-camera shoot that I set up. Um, so I write the scripts, I set up the cameras, do the lighting, perform them, edit them, deliver them out in the world. And so it, in essence, that is very isolating, especially as someone who loves to work in a team. Um, but in terms of getting television content made in Australia, it's just, one, it's incredibly slow paced because of acquiring funds. Um, and two, there's no real, because of money, again, it's all to do with funding, there's not often a very good testing ground for shows, I find. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the day they start shooting is usually the pilot episode. You'll be lucky to commission, you know, 12, 13 episodes and then they go to air and that's where the de- decision to fund a second series or not comes from, you know, people's reactions to it. And that's an incredibly untested product usually. So part of the joy in kind of creating the YouTube channel, one is because that's where kids are actually watching content now. The the statistics of preschoolers watching YouTube is just phenomenal. Um, so one, that's absolutely where my audience is. And it, it's an instant international audience too, which, you know, I'm still building, but is, is wonderful to mm. see, you know, kids all over the world kind of engaging with the content. And two, it's a brilliant testing ground. So at a point where I do get the largest show, you know, funded, people can refer back and already see what's working. And I, and I have genuine digital stats on kids love that because I can tell because of, you know, where the viewers spike or, or there's, you know, their analytics and they don't lie. And that's a really wonderful thing. I've kind of been able to, you know, drop some ideas off that and then build on other ideas as well. Uh, did you build the YouTube channel before or after the ABC? Um, the ABC, uh, the stuff with the ABC is all through ABC Music. So their music videos and accompanying uh, songs, obviously. Um, and so that's strictly ABC Kids brand content uh, that I, I, I still made and, and wrote and executed, but um, is funded by them. Uh, but Tinker Time on YouTube is purely my own. Um, and, you know, and then I'm working with other people to build that into a bigger show, more strictly for television. Why go to television in 2017? Yeah, look, that's a, that's a really good question, but let's hope no one's listening. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All those wonderful people working in television. No, look, the um, the it is it's a genuinely good question, and I think when I approached the YouTube channel, um, I went to Kids Screen in Miami, which is a wonderful conference of everything kids entertainment, um, that's held in the US each year, and. One of the brilliant things there was actually meeting with the head of YouTube family and entertainment and mm-hmm. they're kind of showing that creators, you know, a lot of the creators now are kind of starting to move up in terms of their production quality. So, you know, while the abundance of YouTube creators tend to be kids walking around with their iPhones, recording their gameplay and all doing exceptionally well doing that, by the way. There's now kind of a space resonating as they kind of create YouTube red originals where it's, it's well, if you can make it with a slightly higher production quality, higher scripting, more educational content, then there is absolutely no reason as to why that then can't be viewed and enjoyed by billions of children mm-hmm. around the world where you are, you're somewhat cutting out the funding. Now, now to say that though, I think there's never been a richer time for television. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the best television series of all time are yes. currently being made. Yeah. And, and I think that's brilliant because I'm like, what they're actually doing now is rather than just filling programming and channel content with, oh my goodness, we need, you know, 24 hours of back-to-back television. They go, how about we just make some really kick-ass programs? And then that's a that's a reason to fund television is brilliant ideas and executing them exceptionally well. 
that's certainly happening with like the the HBOs and the that. Netflix, right? That, it's not yeah. traditional television that is going there. Us, from what I can see, it's. I was going to ask: Is that actually happening with TV. this style of content or this genre Look, of it's, content? Look, um, it's interesting. The children's uh, the children's world of content can often be an an afterthought, I feel, like in in terms of funding models, certainly in Australia anyway. Um, And then the difficulty for that children's content in Australia is now you're competing on an international level. So, you know, for instance, there's this amazing series called The Storybots. And if anyone is a preschool science STEM teacher, they need to be watching Storybots. The Storybots. Yeah, The Storybots. It's a wonderful animation made by the guys who created Jib Jab. So it's highly comical, um, brilliantly animated. And the information that I've seen my children retain from watching an episode of, you know, why do I need to brush my teeth? And, you know, where do French fries come from? And then it'll go into all the amazing details, but in a really brilliant comical way. That is very considered television making. It is very expensive television making, but then it's a brand that's kind of resonating. So I would like to see that kind of merge into the live action um, children's genre. Um, But one of the tricky things about that is people are still slow on going, you know, does live action translate internationally because of, you know, uh, say an Australian accent as opposed to a Canadian accent, etc. But but what the proof on the, in the digital realm is is that, you know, um, sadly being a monolingual person, I feel quite ashamed of that. But you know, the majority of international countries do speak English. So yes, yes true. While while that's an English centric kind of idea, um, you know, people are starting to not hesitate over accents as much. So I do hope that kind of more energy and funding goes into better programming for kids. In that live action genre, what does getting your content on TV do for you, or is it not so much the TV, but the other forms of distribution that they can give you? When you look at a lot of ABC content, you can see it popping up on things like iTunes and Stan. Yeah, look, it's it's really down. That's down to uh, you know, one would hope that with it brings lines of expertise and knowledge, but you know, the smallest person can have the best idea that goes completely viral in about two seconds. So that's that's another line of thinking, but. They bring, they bring power, they bring distribution and they bring paid media um, and an already attentive audience. Funding. Um, that's right. So that's, that's what that is. And that doesn't mean that there's not ways around it with the right idea. Um, but then you have to be exceptionally clever with how you then get your product in front of the right eyes. And that's something that I'm working on at the moment, you know, both with the YouTube channel and then I'll also continue down a, a more traditional path in some ways um, for a while and see where that lands me just to see, you know, it's a bit of, bit of a formula and you have to experiment or thinking about how to do that. Where do you want to go with the YouTube channel? Where do you want to take it? Oh, I, I, look, you know, the YouTube channel for me is really 100% where it's at. Um, I would like to build it into you know, a multi-channel kind of network, I suppose. To me, um, Tinker Time, you know, one of the ways to kind of get Tinker Time running was to go, oh, hey, I also can sing and act and, and be a lead in this particular brand. But for me, the concept of Tinker Time is way bigger than Nene, is way bigger than one person. Um, I've introduced a gorgeous character called Louis the Dog, who's this adorable, um, huge, uh, you know, English sheepdog kind of puppet who really only speaks in dog and does an occasional garbled word, but <laughs> the kids um, kids respond beautifully to him. Um, there are other characters that I'd like to introduce over time. And one of the things I really want to get happening for Tinker Time is purely kid videos of kid-centric tinkering. So, you know, little Jesse from the back of Western Australia or, um, you know, someone from Ubud or Burma can send in you know, they're tinkering ideas and you either film them or help them film it or help edit them into. So they start having a voice for their ideas. Um, and that's something I'm really passionate about is children having a voice, I actually have a song called I Have a Voice. And that's about, you know, no matter what language you speak, no matter how you communicate is that you have something to say and you can be heard and we want to hear you. And a dream version of Tinker Time for me is giving children internationally a voice to be curious, have ideas, share those ideas. And make um, them, make and them make reality. Them, yeah, 
That's right. And have a community where they can do that and where they feel empowered. And, um, you know, there is a a genuine gender equality amongst those. And so that's kind of where I'd like to take it. Um, But for now, it's about getting in front of kids. So how are you going to do that? Little question. Yeah, Yeah, that's um, a lot of that just comes from traction and eyes. So at the moment, there's two, you know, there's two really important things to building a YouTube channel. One is creating great content that people actually want to watch. And part of my journey thus far in the, you know, four months or so that I've been doing that is experimenting with what that great content actually looks like and what the kids actually want to watch. And then the other part of it is working out the algorithm to get it in front of kids' faces. And that is very tricky and very real part of it in what is quite an overcrowded area. So some ways you can do that is by getting a YouTube channel manager. um, And there's various ones I'm in discussion with at the moment. Um, Other is just pushing paid media behind it and making sure that you're doing wonderful things with your, you know, your thumbnails and your tagging and your titles and the the videos and your playlists and, and all sorts of things. Since a lot of our listeners are teachers, um, yes. how would you like teachers to use your channel and your content? Always bringing it back to education. Go well, no, education. as you should. As you should. This is I'm who's joking. listening. Um, it's it's interesting, actually. The um, So far, I've mostly engaged with parents who my biggest thing with Tinker Time is I really want it to be a view and do approach. And that's always been the buzzwords of it. And that was one of the reasons why I never turned it into an animation. Though people kind of go, oh, make it animated because then you can sell it internationally and it'll be it'll be much easier to sell it. And I was like, except that it takes away from that real hands-on approach. And, and that's what it is at the heart of tinkering is pulling things apart and being hands-on and ex- exploring, et cetera. A few teachers who have spoken to me about kind of, you know, almost as that engaging manner of things, if they're kind of someone who doesn't want to be up the front and, you know, going absolutely crazy to get kids super excited about catapults is, you know, you can kind of watch the nine or 11 minute video with the kids and they find it really funny and then go, all right, we're making catapults today. Let's think about the science. Let's kind of, what are some of the you know, materials that Nana used to make them and they go, oh, Lego or this or a spoon or this or, okay, well, we don't have that, but what do we have in our classroom? So I really love like my, the, an ideal for me is like a view and do approach is kind of taking, you know, being, having the kids be entertained and become engaged by the content at the beginning and then getting really super hands-on. And I have toyed with doing some kind of live feed to school stuff because, I mean, that's one of the other things is people, kids want to actually interact with you, you know, while you, um, when they've been watching you do videos. So, you know, and as the kind of live streaming stuff gets stronger and stronger, that's something I'm started toying with. So fingers crossed, I can launch some of that a little bit later in the year, see how I go. So I can imagine a classroom situation, a teacher, you know, getting ready to talk about some mechanical topics and then coming across your catapult video, Mm. uh, which lasts for about eight minutes and saying to kids, hey guys, let's have a look at this video and give us a few ideas and then let's go ahead and build some catapults as part of this class. Mm. Would that be kind of the model that you envision or one of them perhaps could be more than one way to use your content? Oh, that that would make me so happy. Happy. Mm. That really would make me so happy. Um, you know, and classrooms are so, you know, even within our um, wonderful public school system, classrooms more and more are kind of having access to that technology yeah. mm-hmm. where they can do a bit more of that view and do, whether it's on the smart board or whether the kids have the iPads. But I love, I love that approach. And, you know, you really want to make things easy for the educator. So I haven't quite got there yet, but the idea of um, tinkering books and teacher resources that kind of match episodes, uh, definitely something I'll be looking into. Because your your episodes are short, like are less than 10 minutes, uh, the ones that I've seen. And is there a reason yes. for that? Is that easy to consume, right, to get to the point yeah, quickly? Yeah, I've I've toyed with different lengths at the moment in the early stages, mostly because there's two factors here. One is how long can you genuinely engage a preschool or younger hmm. primary school audience? And... A lot of people talk about for preschoolers the, you know, seven minutes being an amazing kind of length. But then I'm kind of like, well, if you segment it, can I push it out to 11 to 13? And as I get more views on the videos, one of the great things is is in the, in the analytics, I can genuinely go, oh, 
all the kids or, you know, 74% of children stopped watching at the seventh minute or at the fifth minute. And maybe that's to do with either what the content flipped to or maybe it's to do with that's just the end of their retention before they've spotted another thumbnail on the side of their browser that they've clicked on. But the other tricky part with that algorithm for YouTube is that the longer your video content, the better the algorithm favours it. So if you can get children to keep watching past 11 minutes, YouTube algorithm goes, this is a highly engaging video. I'm going to boost it up, you know, through our kind of pushing process. So so it's a bit of a double-edged sword, that one. I'm thinking the only way for that to work is to be playing Minecraft or something like that. <laughs> to have a seven-year-old yeah. watching a video, that could take hours. <laughs> I actually, like, look, you know, I, the other thing I don't want to do with YouTube is I don't want it to become just li- what they call like like-me content, which yes. is basically just, you know, oh, my gosh, this, you know, Dan TDM is having amazing success playing Minecraft videos. I'm going to go do that as well. Like, um, and some people do that copycat stuff really well. But one of the engaging things about Tinker Time was I was like, no one's actually doing this. No one's making that superhero female protagonist of STEM where she's just a bit wacky, crazy, and just curious and making it a bit funny and fun. And so I'd like to try and stay original in that space if I can. Um, but don't think that I haven't uh, thought about gameplay through the videos um, because in some ways it's just free animation. <laughs> if you can kind of steampunk a Lego nene in Lego worlds and then put some of it in your adventure somehow, then... Um, that's definitely doable. Yeah, definitely. You've got a very engaging, uh, uh, I'm guessing uh, kids just because of your background would like to identify every single object in the <laughs> video frame. So that yeah. takes a bit of time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's no, awesome. it's, 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 um, and it's been nice to see what kids, you know, engage with. One of my favorite things in kind of discussing you know, because a lot of, you know, a lot of big wigs go, oh, you know, it's not very kitty. like it's not just a red apple or a, you know, rainbow or, or something. And I was like, if you give a kid a plastic pink mobile phone and then you give them their iPhone, which one do you think they're actually going to play with? <laughs> like, they're, you know, toys are a wonderful thing, but the genuine hands-on approach to the real deal is absolutely fascinating mm-hmm. to a child. One of the best things I kind of made for my son was going off to an op shop and going, I'm going to buy, you know, like a phone, like an old phone, an old keyboard, and then attach them to like a big wooden piece. So he could just punch keys and press buttons and pull things off and wind them up as much to his heart's content without being worried about breaking anything in the real world. And the, you know, the Tinker Time set, you know, really kind of echoes that functionality, which kids do love. Something to do with joy, right? Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Always back to joy. So I'd love to know how you plan on scaling the business. I'm just interested in like it's uh, sort of a business where it's dependent on like a single well person for now. Mm. Yes, oh, we've got a team. But, uh, oh, a, char- yeah, well, a single character. Yeah, and uh, I guess you can only be. I guess I don't know. Can you be in front of the car- in front of the camera for so long? Yeah, no, that's a well. You could ask the Wiggles that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I believe there's some weird alien technology that's keeping that. Uh, was it the Anthony one? The, <laughs> yeah. the purple yeah. oh, he's so, guy. He's so incredibly fit. Anthony, yeah, he's still there. Uh, but, you know, for him that's just pure joy. That's because that's it's 100% who he is and he loves doing it. Um, you're right. Like I think part of, part of the joy for me in building this particular business is that as much as, you know, performing it and being silly and doing the live shows where I get to interact with all these gorgeous young people is I've loved the business side of the planning of all of this, the trying to think outside the box on how to grow it, trying to do absolutely the kind of networking that's involved to, you know, get funding for even the smallest thing or, you know, get people's eyes on it or to get influencers to communicate with you on it. And I love the business side of it. So I'm not going to give away all my grand business plans right here. But look, for me at the moment is it's purely based now that I'm kind of really kind of happy with where the content's going and that, you know, please don't underestimate how long that that took to kind of grow and get right. And that was really important for me because I'm like, there's no point getting people to watch it because you only get one shot. You really get one shot of someone watching this to see whether they'll 
have another go or whether they subscribe or or come back to another episode. So I really, it was important to me to get that at least close to good before pushing. And now it's all about eyeballs. I just need kids' eyeballs all over this thing. So then I can genuinely even more and more and more look at those analytics to see what's resonating and then keep growing. And as to whether it's me in front of the camera or whether it's other characters or, you know, Nene is played by some absolutely stunning, you know, 18-year-old girl in a few years or whatever, that that stuff is nondescript to me because it's not actually about any of those things. It's not about the people, the characters. It's about whether the child's engaging with the concepts in which you're putting towards them. And that's the only way this thing is going to build. So I really need to just get it in front of those kids and see how they're engaging and keep finding interesting ways to do that again and again. So, yeah, yeah. So you said that you're doing this in your attic, (laughs) which is pretty cool because, you know, we probably have teachers that are thinking, oh, I can do this. Mm. Well, Mm. they they don't realize how hard it is, but they should give it a go. Um, In terms of your setup, what does that look like? Yeah, it's... um Look, it's pretty epic um, and people, occasionally when people have come and seen it, they're like, oh, it's tiny. And I was like, yeah, it's amazing how television makes things look <laughs> bigger. But it was, um, look, it was a really creative setup in terms of the way we did the room. Um, and I had wonderful technically minded camera people who I could call and ring and go, oh, absolutely, tell me what gear I need to buy. And then I had to self-learn that gear. I had a director of photography come into the room before I started shooting and go, I really need you to light me two shots that I can just have an on and off kind of flick switch. So I'm not trying to relight every shot. And as I've grown more confident, then I can get a little bit more creative in how I use the technical equipment. But when I started, it was really about get a camera that you know is going to, you know, look fine on a phone and also on, you know, a flat screen television where kids are also watching YouTube and allow that kind of, you know, that equipment to support you through it. What equipment do you use? Uh, look, I use a I use a Canon camera and I bought a really good slash expensive lens for it just so if I wanted to do those really nice shots, I can. And, you know, and it's particularly because what I'm doing is is a high-end production look. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't seriously get your iPhone out, put it on one of those little tripods. Like, you know, what an iPhone shoots these days is absolutely amazing and start doing that. Like I use, you know, I use Zoom to um, record all my audio so then I can mix it into music because I think that's really important for kids um, and, you know, can alienate them if you've got bad sound. But for the person at home who's just going, can I, I've got this great idea, can I start shooting? The answer is yes. <laughs> and there are so many free, like free software in which people can use to be editing and, you know, manipulating images now. Um, you know, I use the Adobe suite to do all my editing and posters and Photoshop and so forth. Do you do your own editing? Yeah, I, I have. And I've had to self-teach awesome. all these um all these programs. So it's been a crash course in learning Premiere Pro and then crash course learning Photoshop and then a crash course. And and I just find that I, I love that. Like I feed off learning those new programs um, and just, you know, I'm totally hack at it. Like I, I'm not going to go and edit a feature film. Do you think that the average teacher uh, will be able to learn Premiere Pro, for example, or Photoshop? Oh, before you answer <laughs> that question, I want to know how you learned to do this. YouTube videos. YouTube. I found it communicated well with me. So when I went into the Adobe suite and once you, like I buy the whole creative cloud suite. So I started with Premiere Pro because editing video was really, yeah, uh, that's right. It was a really important to me to be able to edit video. And from then I was like, oh, InDesign isn't that different, um, you know, and then I would literally be go, oh, okay, Google question, how do I remove background <laughs> yeah. from a photo? And then someone else with, you know, 250,000 views goes, this is how you do it and screen in screen. And yeah, and I just, I just learned things as I needed them. So I was like, oh, I really want that shot to, you know, dissolve into the next one. How do I do that? Um, and then, you know, and then you start getting more and more technical as you grow confidence. But it's just having the guts to try. I think it's the same with building anything. You just got to have the guts to have a go at it and learn it and, you know, be okay with sucking at it for a little bit. And then you'll find with momentum, you you learn it fairly quickly. Wow. That's, so that's quite teachers, amazing. <laughs> teachers are 
content creation is an important part of the job, but traditionally that has been, say, overhead. So transparency, remember, 20 years ago, <laughs> more yeah. recently has been PowerPoints. Do you see that creating video content is now sort of the new thing or the new skill that teachers should try to master? Look, I think, I think if only, yes, because that's the way that kids know how to consume mm, content mm, now. Yep. You know, it's almost like music. I, I, I have forced my children to listen to music, but I, say I play them the Frozen soundtrack, right? You know, so my daughter might have been two years old, Frozen comes out, and I'm like, cool, we can listen to the songs and we can sing them. Now for ages she would stand at the iPad, even though I would have turned the screen off so she can't open it, waiting for the image to arrive because it took her a really long time to connect the fact that, oh, no, we can just enjoy this sound without moving images in front of it. And I think that's, you know, that's the way kids are learning now. So if you're not using video in some capacity, then you're missing out on this instantly engaging kind of medium that kids are really good at reading. Like one of, you know, when I said poetry was one of the worst things to teach to teens, one of the best things to teach was film analysis because all of a sudden I'm like looking at a room full of people who know how to analyse video and know how to sit and watch. They're really, you know, they're really good at it because they've been watching so much content that way. So, hmm. How do you maintain engagement with kids who you know, they, they have no concept of how we used to watch television as a, a when we were kids where we would get the episode once a week and have to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, binge wait. Consume your content. Yeah. You so that through your analytics. So binge it. And then how do you yeah, maintain that relationship after the binge, binge watched your content? Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. I guess I, I made sure that I haven't kind of pushed the content too much until there was a backlog of videos because I knew that that's how kids would consume it. And the other thing is you just think I absolutely can't fight that at all. Uh, the way that they're consuming that content will not be fought. So you just have to go with it and then hope that you can like grab them on another run of things, um, whether that's through playlists or or whatever. But, but also just respect that 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 ideas have a time and, and that's okay. And, and what's one of the gracious things about a children's audience is that continuously children are being born and so therefore then the audience works on <laughs> a somewhat revolve. <laughs> you know, lucky me, here they come, keep coming, and it's always new to them. So, you know, as one kid grows out of it and they're sick of it, in comes another one who's kind of just ready to be consuming that way. But I would never try and fight the natural way in which people are consuming. And I think that's problems with all sorts of things in the media industry. You know, it was like when magazines died, it was like people fought it and you think, oh, you can't. This is just a tidal wave of change and mm -hmm. you just have to rethink. Um, and I, I like that challenge. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Let's get into rapid fire questions. Okay, here we go. Um, so who has been the most influential in shaping the way that you teach, uh, whether alive or dead? Uh, it oh. could even be fictitious now that I think of it. Yeah, that's to be um, a real person. I look, I have a lot of time and respect for the way in which Pixar make story. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, that's been really important. So in a, in a demographic of essentially, you know, maker or teaching STEM or, or whatever, I've tried to lay off the didactic and keep kind of the heart and story alive. And I think that you know, sometimes I'd win at that and sometimes I completely don't. But that to me, like the, the Pixar philosophy of story is just 100% engaging. So I love that. Great. What is your programming language of choice? Uh, yeah, look, my, my, my ability to program is like little to none. You're talking about coding proper programming? No, I have no idea. I, I don't program. I don't... I don't code. The, the last thing I coded was a beaded necklace that said nay, nay, and just binary code for kids. <laughs> that, that, that's good, that actually, counts. because we are pushing uh, that our opinion that teachers need to be able to program at least in scratch. But I don't think that's necessarily true, Marcus, after this. Oh. Nene is teaching a lot of interesting STEM-related stuff, but she can't program. Yes. Yeah. Yet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am self-taught. No. I do like to uh, learn things, but and and you know, to be honest, that has been on the list. But when yeah, the it's fallen down in priorities when I've been learning um, video editing software and Photoshop and so forth. 
Yeah, that's a good lesson. Uh, I'm sure the scripting and the video editing software. <laughs> yeah, oh, would there would be. <laughs> um, any parting thoughts for our listeners? Maybe some something uh, to take home, perhaps a ninja power that you'd like. It, it could be something that you've already talked about, but just as the last thoughts for our listeners to take with them. Yeah, look, I think the main thing, um, you know, seeing we're talking to Stemiverse, would just be... I would love like every educator um, to be keeping a true like gender equality approach to, you know, the way in which they're making content engaging for young people. And that's not to put any stigma on boys learn this way, girls learn this way. It's just that people, people learn differently. And I really you know, more and more, I think we need really varied solutions to all sorts of problems going on in the world, in technology, in politics, in life in general. And I really like to hear varied approaches, but that can only happen if young people and girls in particular are, you know, nurtured to feel curious and to feel as though they can problem solve as well as anyone else in the room. And that starts with our educators. So that's really important to me. And I love hearing about educators or people or parents or, you know, who are kind of allowing that to happen for young people. Absolutely. That's great. Awesome. So where can people find you on the web? Look, I'd love I'd love for people to subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Tinker Time, T-I-N-K-E-R-T. T-I-M-E, or you can also put in Nene or Bubble Pop or any of the other, you know, things that that, that are linked and that kind of comes up. But I really, and if people kind of want to get in contact, my website is www.nene.com.au and there's, there's a subscribe button there, but there's also just a get in contact button. And I would love to know you know, anything about what you're doing for STEM in the classroom or for tinkering, um, or if you have any questions or ideas, then, you know, I'm the person on the end of all those things answering it. And I love when people, fans kind of contact you, you know, on Facebook, it's just Nene Official and Nene Official on Instagram and people message you and they're really shocked that you're the person answering. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I think, oh, you know, I don't have an answer for you. And other times I think, oh yeah, yeah, I've got 50 ideas, you know, that I've thought of and this, and maybe go to this freezer or look at this page or I've got a Pinterest board on that or um, and then you know you create these beautiful genuine engagements with people who are enjoying your work and I love that so feel free to engage that's That'd be great. great so in other words you're very easy to find right? you're am. all over the internet <laughs> that's right <laughs> all, all internet units yeah that's exactly very right. awesome <laughs> well thank you so much for your time it's been fantastic it a lot of fun it was actually joyful Uh, Thank you, Peter. Thank Thank you, Marcus. It's been wonderful. Thanks for having me on the show. Bye, Naomi. All right, bye. That's all for this episode. If you have any questions or suggestions, please send them to our email address, questions at stemiverse.com, and we'd be happy to answer them. Do you want us to interview someone in particular? Let us know. Visit us at stemiverse.com to get the show notes of every episode and subscribe on iTunes by searching for the name of our podcast, STEMiverse, that is S-T-E-M-I-V-E-R-S-E. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.